doesn't. Oh, so creepy. It, yeah, it doesn't say that at the beginning, right? No, it does not. But it is okay. very, very creepy. It is very creepy. creepy. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, welcome everyone to our 10th episode of Financial Decapitation. Uh, it's been about a week, or actually it's been exactly a week since our last recording. And uh, markets haven't been... Markets haven't been normal, as always, as we're still in our lockdown and the world's economy is still at a uh, standstill in terms of productivity and output. But, uh, you know, we're we're still chilling at home. We're taking it easy. Or at least some of no, us are. No wine and cheese today, just because we're all split apart. Unless, yeah. uh, unless we make <laughs> uh, a day drinking at home a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd prefer not to make that a thing. <laughs> yeah, that don't want to build those sorts of bad habits. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, especially now more than ever because we're probably more susceptible to that now than we were, you know, a month and a half ago. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's at home with their families. Everyone's arguing. Divorce lawyers are going to be busy in a couple of months. It's a great time. Yeah, yeah. I've seen those jokes. You know, too bad you can't really. Uh, can't invest in that you know there's no, there's no business out there that's solely built for like divorce invest, invest in a divorce law office just just like yeah. private practice find someone who who wants partner <laughs> one needs an investor is there a large scale law firm that specializes in divorce i mean they'll take your money but like uh <laughs> will they give anything back mm. they'll give you a divorce that's that's the risk, yeah. Yeah. Um, so today marks our tenth episode of the Financial Decapitation Podcast. Um, holy crap! <laughs> Ten episodes already. Um, we're gonna try and be consistent uh, and do uh, an episode a week, um, and just build that habit within the podcast itself. Um, and if anyone wants to kick off, if anyone has any like news they want to kick off the, I have something I can kick off with. Um, so yeah, so ten episodes to the viewers who are listening. Thank you. Uh, and uh, I'd like to start off on a strong note with Elon. Will you please shut oh the fuck god. up? Oh my god! I'm not <laughs> surprised that we would start off with this, but at the same time, I'm just. I'm so burnt out with the fact that this dude's just losing his mind, I feel like, slowly, since day one we started talking about him. This fool. This madman, dude. He's been a very strong topic of ours, because he's a very interesting character. Yeah, you could definitely say that. (laughs) Uh, Is he losing his mind? I think so. I mean, did you... His most recent tweets were so focused on him discarding all of his property pretty much he said almost everything he's just going to get rid of it and he won't and he won't own a home and he owns seven houses that are each worth upwards to 3 to 4 million dollars and of course higher uh, but, i think the combined total of the seven houses is like 100 mil well okay well there you have it so i'm way yeah. underballing that it's way oh, higher for sure you're way underballing it <laughs> you're, you're, like either he's because he is known to troll either that's also a troll 
or he's really kind of like <laughs> losing yeah. it or having some sort of an issue. Either way, way do in a couple of days. Well, what is he doing with his life, man? I don't know. I mean, either way, that's a problem because either he's a CEO who's acting like a child, or <laughs> or he's having like a serious like uh, um, midlife crisis. Yeah, some sort of a midlife crisis. So, well, to anyone I mean, who doesn't know what we're talking about, some context is he posted on Twitter saying, I think my stock, I think the Tesla stock is worth too much. And then, like, two hours later, he's like, by the way, I'm selling all material possessions. I no longer need any of them, including all of my houses. I no longer need to own any homes. I'm going to focus on Earth and Mars, baby. And, uh, my fucking God. What, what a madman. What a mad lad. <laughs> and 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 like in a couple days before this too, he was then saying comments that this lockdown is like through a fascist regime was pretty much calling the government fascist for locking us down. And, and, I, and I'm yeah. sitting here like my dude, like you're an engineer, you're supposed to be this really smart guy, and I'm like trying to give you all the credit in the world for being smart, <laughs> but now it's just kind of coming to a point where I'm like, you, you got man. some issues, dude, like big issues <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> all someone, those comments are of questionable value yeah when yeah. considering you're someone who's like involved in the sciences it's really like contradictory for him to turn around and disregard the scientific like findings and expertise of like medical professionals <laughs> And, and um, I mean, it's just common sense. Like, you know, if you're sick and you go outside and you're in a crowd of people, the chances that you're going to get at least one more person sick is pretty high. I mean, it's yeah. you don't even need to be a doctor or, or even know more than like fifth grade or sixth grade math of basic probability, knowing your fractions, that that is a very possible outcome. You know, I, I just it's really unfathomable that someone doesn't understand that. You know, yeah, someone in his position with his viewership and has that much outreach is able to say something so, uh, bra uh how do I say it? To, to brandish such words in such a way is unresponsible, I think. Dude, hold on. So, first of all, is it legal to say I don't think this stock is worth that much, especially so... considering that the SEC probed him and then sued him? And then basically made uh, every time he talks about the uh, stock, he has to get board approval. Now he's saying, I don't think the stock is worth so much. And it tanks. He's going he's gonna to get audited again. And he's probably going to get accused again and investigated again. I mean, he's. Why do I get the feeling something like that is insider trading? Well, it's not by definition insider trading because he didn't really reveal he, he didn't really back anything saying like oh i know that something's going on here and it's not private he merely just said an opinion because it's not factually based an opinion what would be insider trading is like well, saying hey you should buy some stock uh, you should like buy some stock the day after tomorrow and then going out and publicly saying something like that the stock obviously tanks, and then he buys yeah. back into it, or his friends buy back into it, or something. Mm. Or he uses that power and the knowledge of about to use it to do something. So if if they audit him and they see that someone around him bought more stock at the time, like then someone on the board, is. 
yeah, like someone then, in his family or friends. Yeah. Then it's insider trading. Wouldn't it be in considered just like stock manipulation just in general? Like in, in the first accusation, if they don't investigate, yeah, it would be manipulation. That's yeah. stock manipulation for, for sure. You can't go out to the public and say, oh, I think we're overvalued. Yeah. You as can't do that. Yo, and like owner of the company, <laughs> as the head of Tesla, go and I say, think, oh, yeah, I think my, my, you know, it's a bubble. Like <laughs> the price is too damn high. It's I like, think what? if they took away his Twitter account, the world would be a better place. <laughs> You know, you could say that about so many people nowadays. Yeah, I think if they took away a lot of, I think if they took away Twitter, the world would be a better place. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty sure that has some merit to just completely get rid of it. It's actually interesting. There's a lot of studies (laughs) about how social media is like affecting people these days. Um, Kind of concerning, like in terms of like affects some people's like mental health and and. Um, dealing with anxiety, it's it's yeah. I mean, so that, you're not media, wrong. Like reducing social media consumption. Yeah, I mean, for some people, social media has kind of it, it either gives them confirmation bias on certain things, or um, you know, just the, the just the whole concept that you're in this competition with your your peers. You know, everyone's trying to post the next best thing and whose life is better off than the other person's. It's getting to the point where you're you're just comparing yourself to so many people and you don't realize that you're comparing apples to tires. You know, it just <laughs> like it's not even in the same fruit category now. You're you're trying to compare two incredibly impossible things to compare. And it's just you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate, but you know, there's merits to social media, and then there's demerits to social media, and oh, yeah. and it's hard to say, like, you know, what's the best solution? But social media does have its problems, big time. Yeah, I think like anything, it really comes down to just moderation, just how much of it you consume. Um, just so it's it's like saying you know eating donuts. And nothing but donuts to like that wrecks you in your diet. Like you can't just eat donuts all the time; you'll fucking die. <laughs> it's yeah. all sugar. <laughs> That's the same thing with social media. You can't always freaking eat sugar all the time. You need to, like step away or like cut down on the amount you consume. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, that just ties it all into that really easy uh, concept of you know consumer choice and to what degree do you let consumers choose and i mean as a free trade supporter like myself i believe consumers are free to you know really make any decision they have with one caveat we have to make sure they're informed to the best of the ability we can inform them that's that's it korean approach oh that's That's a magical approach. Uh, not one many people come back from. Yeah. Oh, uh, something we, I don't think we discussed last time because I think our news was just coming out. Um, the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, is not doing well. Um, he's back. He's back? Uh, uh, no. Yeah. no, 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 no. No, it he... Improved. So. Well, are you talking about today's news with the the fertilization plant that he just opened? That okay? Did you did you read that article? Yeah, I did. It, they don't have the press wasn't present, and they were just releasing 
Uh, what's that it? was uh, state-run North Korean yeah. news reported yeah. that he's back. Right. That's literally just them dangling a dead body in front of a thousand people <laughs> saying, yeah, he's back. We, we yeah, don't have but, uh, but, I mean, no one that, knows. But that's still, I mean, it's conjecture either way for both sides, people who claim that he's dead or, or vegetated. I mean, all we know is that the American had some sort of intelligence there. But I mean, come on. We we know with all major countries, they don't release full details in. So I mean, sure, he might be in a vegetative state or all of our intelligences know something else that we don't know and they're not releasing the full story to the public. Either way, odds are he's probably not dead. Odds are he's probably the full dead. Story. Although it's probably, I think he was probably not at the beach drinking Mai Tais like, <laughs> like the North Korean media said. No, no, he's yeah. not. Yeah. I don't think this is the right platform to be spreading I think this and I think that with, like, random thoughts. But I'm pretty sure he was dead or killed or something. And, like, don't take my word for it because, I don't know, the news is the news and what actually happened is what actually happened. And they're realistically probably two totally different things. And I don't think we're getting the full picture here, so. Yeah, only time will tell. Yeah, uh, I mean, eventually you'll find out that someone will spread the information of like, yeah, like he 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 died, and then they try to conceal his death and just keep the, the country from falling out of chaos or falling into chaos by saying, yeah, look, here he is doing some plant life thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, they they were discussing in several of the articles I was reading that this isn't the first time North Korean uh, leaders have disappeared mysteriously for a period of time and then reappeared. Kim Il Sung reportedly went missing for a month and then reappeared a month later. Uh, his, it, Kim Jong-un's um, uh, father, uh, oh man, what was his name? Kim, uh, Kim Jong-il, there we go. Uh, he went missing for three weeks and later was discovered to have ankle surgery And when he came back from with a cane. So, mm. I mean, it's they're just saying that, you know, yeah, he's back in business, but I mean... There's no way he's dead. Kim Il-sung apparently got shot, like, in the face. Oh, my God. Somebody and tried to, wait, came back what? a month later. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what's not to say that they're just, like, bringing in actors to pose as the leader who's entirely just a puppet of their regime or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 hugely possible. I mean, um, at hugely. the end of the day... <laughs> It's it's hugely possible, but at the end of the day, I mean, between Kim Jong-un and his sister, I mean, they're both equally pretty shitty. So, I mean, if Kim Jong-un did die and he got replaced by his sister, I mean, yeah, you're not really upgrading or downgrading. That's pretty much just Kim Jong-un woman version. Damn. Yeah, it's... <laughs> so, it's like, if he died, I mean, yeah, it would... You know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> just well, doesn't fall too far from the tree. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, another piece of news, and this is a little bit more recent, is um, so apparently Berkshire Hathaway uh, released its first quarter earnings, and they reported a net loss of about fifty billion dollars. Hmm. Yeah, that's a big um, number. Yeah, it's a very big number. What was the what was the percent change? Uh, percent change. Fifty billion's a lot, but I'm curious to see what percent uh, of the let equity me, it was. Let me try to find the total percent change because it's given me the, the like profit percentages. Um, 
quarterly operating profit uh, rose six percent, which is five point eight billion. Um, that's okay. <coughs> that's profits, right? Yeah, that's profits. Yeah, because I mean, th- my big thing with a lot of the reporting, especially when it comes to third-party news and not straight from the company, is. And and again, I, I cannot stress enough, this is why I am so bent on hearing percentages over values is because, you know, you hear $50 billion and you're initially thinking, holy shit, wow, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, 50 bill, wow, I need to get out of the stock market now. But, you know, what if you discover they have like a trillion, let's just say if we're, you know, I'm pretending here, but if they had a trillion dollars, 50 billion is not a sizable amount of 1 trillion that you would freak out about, which is why I like percentages. You show the growth. You can give me a you can you don't even need to give me the picture. You tell me ten percent, cool. Ten percent can either be growth, it can be a change, great. But if you give me like ten dollars, I have no idea what you're talking about. Ten dollars for a can of soda or ten dollars for a car? <laughs> like it's hard to say. But did you did you get it? No, it was not in that article. I'm looking at another article right now, to try to see if there's uh, percentages I can pull. Uh... But actually, your your topic relates back to the the whole uh, Elon Musk thing, where there's articles going around saying, "Yeah, a single tweet wiped out fourteen billion dollars in market value." You're like, "Holy shit!" And then you look at the numbers, and it's nine and a half percent. And then they move that much in a day, on any given day, in like the last couple of months, it's been like that daily. So, exactly. you know, how much of a change exactly. is there really? Yep, exactly. And and that's the biggest part is I I think you and I might be talking about the same article. I, 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 but then again, a lot did come out saying similar stuff, but that's what ticks me off is as an economist and as someone who studies statistics, the percentage shows change. If you just give me the value, you know, congratulations to you, you can count, but yeah. I don't care about you counting. I want to see the change. And that's the thing. Yeah. They change 9% like daily or weekly. Like, why do I care? Do you really credit that much to the tweet or is it just the general behavior of their company? You know, that's, that's, that, <laughs> that's the big picture. Uh, I don't know why it's, it's, it's saying, Okay, this article is really weird. It's saying uh, investment loss tracked the overall slide in stock markets. The S and P five hundred dropped twenty percent, but that's the in the first quarter. But that's the S and P five hundred. That doesn't give me the percentage for Brookshire itself. Like, what the well, fuck? See, you can go on, for instance, like Finance Yahoo. Look up uh, Berkshire Hathaway, and then see um, they they like publish. Uh, uh, they have the reports published and that sort of stuff posted usually on there and you can find some things i think most of the stuff is premium but that you can get like at least the titles and certain snippets of stuff and it'll tell you yeah mm-hmm. and i mean or even you then, if... compare with like uh, uh using a graph you could just look at the, the value right and and i mean even then we we see berkshire hathaway report this loss just reading an article here from the new york times you know, we're, we're looking at this being credited to large stakes held in major airlines and financial firms. So realistically speaking, if they have, uh, you know, their portfolio comprised of a lot of these airlines, which are shut down, which are not doing really good right now, obviously they're going to have losses. And, you know, this is my biggest gripe with a lot of ways we, or the, the uh, news outlets will 
write these articles is they will report something and word it in a fashion where it can incite uh, fear or unnecessary caution. And now they're not getting a big picture. Now they explain it well in these articles. The problem is, is, you know, we're kind of in the day and age where a lot of people are headline readers and not article readers. So, you know, someone's going to see Berkshire Hathaway lost 49.7 billion in first quarter stung by coronavirus. If no one else reads the rest of the article, they're just going to be like, oh my God, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, this and that, and done. They don't understand. (laughs) Which happens a lot. Is none of these articles giving you a percentage of loss? That's uh, fine. Anyways, you're. I think we we digressed. The headline thing is a huge deal because I, I I'll see people just like go through the news feed and they'll just re- look at the headline and then the first two lines of text that appears underneath it and be like, oh damn, show someone else the headline and then just keep scrolling without actually reading anything. This is exactly and, you know, why, like, The Onion and The Babylon Bee can get so oh, their hilarious things out, and people will spread those because they don't read them. Make The Onion popular again. That shit is amazing. They'll oh, it's hilarious. Make news like wildfire. Yeah. I- I've gotten some from people I know, and I have to, like, send them just a really short message, like, did you read the article? My mom <laughs> has given me an Onion article before I'm like, mom. No, this is not <laughs> what you think it is. <laughs> so, so Berkshire Hathaway might might have lost or gone down fifty billion something. You also have to consider that they're one of the top ten biggest, well, top ten most valuable companies in the world, they're worth hundreds of billions. That yeah. like that could fluctuate <laughs> on a monthly basis, for all we know. You know that you know. I really need some more context on. On what you mean exactly, what they lost, what what happens, why, and with the coronavirus going on, it, it I mean people are bound to lose money. Like a lot of people are talking about, you know, almost twenty percent unemployment in our country, but it it's pretty obvious that the biggest companies are losing millions, if not billions, of dollars, not being able to operate to, you know, their full capacities, not being able to do everything that they've been doing normally. So let me do some like, quick and dirty math. Hold on. It's not unreasonable to hear something like that, at least if in I, If I use uh market cap, like their total market cap currently, I could get a percentage, correct? Yeah. You just I mean it, it might not be a direct correlation of the amount of money they lost because they the their market capitalization or their their value is combination of everything from their assets to their debts to their profits to their you know everything and you know some future speculation as well so you'll not you won't get the full picture of that one specific number you're looking for but you'll get a general idea of what happened uh yeah probably probably not uh yeah 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 it's hard it's hard to really gauge like because if i if i earned ten dollars one month and then i earned twenty dollars the next month i doubled my profit but if i'm worth a hundred thousand dollars you're not going to see that i doubled my profit by gauging my stock value you you doubled your revenue your revenue sure yeah but but yeah yeah. but yeah i get what you're saying i get what you're saying yeah i mean well so 49.7 billion yeah i mean i'll be honest this is a lot of attention we're putting towards um 
news that I don't really find uh, super important other than if you are highly invested in airlines and financial firms, this might be a big thing. But I mean, big picture, um, everyone's losing money. And I get that people really want to hone in on, you know, the lord of all stock trading, Warren Buffett, and and hence Berkshire Hathaway. But at the end of the day, you know, they're a portfolio. They do a lot of investments. It's all of us are losing money. I mean, I get we want to really focus in on them, but hell, you can focus in on my portfolio, and I've lost some money. I mean, it happens. I'd like to uh, actually turn the attention of our conversation to a different topic because um, uh, it's one of my favorite tech companies that I've talked a lot about, AMD. I just want to talk about the the tech sector for a minute and just kind of report on some observations I found, which I kind of think are interesting. Um, it's not necessarily particularly to AMD, but the, the genre as a whole is over the last couple of months, since a lot of people have been operating from home, you've actually seen a lot of companies like Newegg or Amazon throw up deals on computers, computer parts, microphones, speakers, whatever, monitors. And uh, the the most interesting thing is that the mobile sector seems to be rapidly expanding over the last two years, not just now. And um, AMD has finally entered a point where they're competing heavily in the mobile sector. And I don't mean mobile phones. I'm talking about laptops possibly tablets in the future, that sort of stuff, where they're finally coming out with chips, processors that are very competitive, where you see something like high core counts with low TDPs, uh, uh, low uh, low power consumption, so that they can actually be used. And the biggest deal with a mobile processor that's put into a laptop is low power consumption, because essentially you're you're pulling power from a battery instead of pulling power from the wall. And the most you can travel with through an airline is 100 watts. So you have these batteries limited to 100 watt capacity, and you have these chips that are basically designed to take as little power as as possible, but still put out as much work as possible. So you have uh, low power, high output chips that are, uh, you know, the the heart and soul of these laptops. Now, the, the thing that I noticed is that you have companies that have normally only come out with SOCs, which is a system on a chip. It's a processor, GPU, RAM, everything put into one. Companies like Qualcomm, who have only come out with mobile CPUs, uh, mobile SOCs, or phones and that sort of stuff, are now starting to come out with their own designs for SOCs for laptops or SOCs for tablets. And they're going to compete with companies like Intel, AMD. You have Apple, who has their A13 Bionic chip that's coming out in the iPhones. They're starting to come out with them in in, um, in their iPads too. You're, uh, there's news of them pushing those chips into their laptop space as well. So it's becoming a heavily diluted market. And I just can't help but think how great competition is for the consumer that you're finally seeing, starting to see uh, these CPU prices go down with the level of performance significantly increase where you could currently buy like a four or five hundred dollar laptop with an hd 1080p screen with uh, amd's um apu which is basically a cpu with a built-in gpu and it's pretty cheap you'll get you know the works and it'll do 
light gaming and just about all the basic office work you can throw at it for like four or five hundred bucks, you never would have gotten a laptop like that years ago. It's it's freaking great. So there's a lot of healthy competition going on in the market where you're far, finally for the first time starting to see more than one company coming out with a product that you know should have been pushed to the market ages ago. Huh. And uh, yeah, these companies are doing a great job by pushing this competition. Yeah, I mean we're in we're in dire times. You know, uh, market will change, it'll shift. <coughs> General investment advice: I don't really know what to give with something like this, but you know, if you're looking for buying a laptop, honestly, now is not a bad time, especially since you work from home, do everything from home in the current pandemic scenario, and then once you're out and about, you can take your computer with you. Yeah. Trying times indeed. Yeah, big time. I mean, um, you know, I, I mentioned it <coughs> I mentioned it the other day. Um, AMC is severing their ties with uh, Universal Studios. Yes. Because Universal um, did their first, you know, pay from home to view, um, you know, what's it, home box office. Home box office. So they just, they're like, hey, here's the movie. You pay to view it. It's it's pretty much I'm paying to see it as if I'm in theaters, but it's cheaper and I can do it at home. And and Uh, I think that's the, sorry, what's up? I don't want to cut you off. Sorry. I'll hold. Um, I'm just thinking there's a lot of, changes that we would see i mean amc severing ties with universal i mean that's no small feat uh to undertake because universal is still a huge player in producing movies and uh it's this is going to have a very long-term effect as we see the market change because i think we were already heading in this direction but to happen it to make it happen so suddenly and to have um, theaters start to sever ties with the movie producers the long-term effect can be bad because it does change the way we look at theaters. It will change our lifestyle. You know, now restaurants, shopping centers, plazas that relied on these theaters, the long-term effect is a lot of those people are going to have some real rough times coming ahead if other theaters adopt AMC's movement in severing ties with producers who choose to do home box office approaches. You know, there's just a lot of different connections, but um, yeah, that was something I just definitely wanted to share um, in these trying times, as Peter said. Yeah, I remember you sharing that news yesterday, and it was it was something I had heard happen before, um, and it kind of all stems from releasing home box office movies, uh, because obviously no one can go from the theater. You can instead rent uh, the same movie that would be released in theaters um, for, I believe it's around, it varies depending on uh, what company you're buying it from, but I believe it's around $20. uh, And it's a rental you have for like 24 hours. And uh, it's much more affordable than taking a family out to go see a movie. Um, the big one that uh, I know they released was the new Trolls movie, which was with... Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it was actually very successful, and it had uh, Justin Timberlake as one of the, the, the characters. Um, and it was very uh, 
successful. I think what the biggest home box home box office release, um, like in, in terms of sales, um, and it kind of it was like a proof. Uh, it was just like proof that hey, like this is a new distribution model for uh, new movies, um, and and AMC not so happy about it, um, obviously because it threatens their own business. Now, this is going to be a really interesting, uh, like, following, like, the following events are going to be really interesting to see. My theory on how it's going to play out, it's not going to go the way AMC would like it to go, I don't believe. Um, In fact, I think AMC is going to have to really speed up the process that they began the, that they began a couple of years ago which is turn movie theaters into um lounges. lounges yeah but basically like upscale the movie theater experience um you're not going to be able to go in uh have most of the time like a cheap matinee and then um you know just have some popcorn and that's it it's going to be more of a uh, an occasional nice night out, better seating, uh, you know, expanded and better food, uh, alcohol uh, being served. Now this has been done to a couple different uh, AMC's. One of the like popular ones is uh, the one in City Walk, um, and I think we're going to see that kind of accelerate um, because when home box office you know grow grows in its sector. A lot of people are going to choose that instead because if you have a family of four that's and you want to go see the next Pixar movie, that's like 15, 18 bucks a ticket per ticket. Um, that's not even counting parking and food and drink. Your price Wait. range vastly changes your age of viewership and who's going. Like if yeah. you price to 25 bucks a ticket, you make it a little bit more um boutique where Mm -hmm. uh you know it's nicer you have nicer seating you have this like much fancier area but then you're only focused on the people going out on like a date or with a friend or two rather than you know a family with their kids i think this is going to lead to a lot of closures for amc's uh theaters not all of them i still think they can carve out that niche for themselves in that boutique theater experience um but they're not going to be this um you know, affordable entertainment for the masses. I don't think. Well, and so that's why I think long term, what we're going to see is theater prices are going to have to start going down. Um, because I mean, that's that's just your basic cross of supply and demand. You're now having a complete. You're you're having a big shift in your demand population. If if this long term trend catches on, then you'll have a big shift in your demand. <coughs> key driver though <clears throat> with these theaters that are, are going to keep them relevant is still the attraction for the large screen and still the attraction for the sound systems because at the end of the day unless you have an in-house theater and you know a giant you know 100 foot whatever by 100 foot whatever screen you're, you're not going to obtain that true theater experience so i th- i think i think theaters will still maintain relevance but they're yeah the the consumership is going to go down 
um, people are probably only going to use it for special occasions rather than, oh, I need to see this movie. And yikes, I mean, there's just a large chain of people who are going to get sideswiped by this. Now, how fast is it going to happen? It probably is going to take some time, but I think it is on a path to eventually happening. Well, consider this. Uh, Theaters peaked at a time when TVs at home were not really a thing, and then continued to gain popularity and keep that popularity all the way through the mid to late 2000s, so like 10 years ago. And all of this time, there's never really been a period of time where people have these giant TVs at home openly available. Now, if you look at the market for TVs for, you know, your home entertainment systems and that sort of stuff, you can get like a good set of speakers for a hundred bucks that includes a sub and like, you know, two or three speakers to, to move around the room. In addition, you can get like these 50 to 60 inch TVs for a couple hundred bucks and they're cheap and they look decent. They're, they're high resolution. You get like a 55 inch TV in 4K right now. Amazing resolution, great size. You can put it all the way across the room and not worry about it. And it'll be, you know, four or five hundred bucks or even cheaper if you find those budget ones. And your home audio systems and home television systems and entertainment systems in general have never been cheaper. So there's bound to be some sort of correlation between cost of entertainment at home and the amount you get. Versus cost of entertainment at outside and the amount they give you. Yeah, and I think uh, another point there uh, relating to it is we might see a shift in in the long term. Uh, the movies that are offered uh, or are really popular or watched in a theater. Um, again, going back to the example of you know of four family, uh, you know, parents, two kids. Um, you're less likely to go out and watch the next Frozen movie um, in a theater and rather you just watch it at home with your kids while because it doesn't really matter if you have like a gigantic screen or the best sound system for the next Frozen movie. But if it's a theater experience such as, um, was it 1918 that came out recently uh, within the last year? The World War One movie, or that's a movie you would want to see in theater. Yeah, I bought in theater, and that movie was phenomenal. Yeah, or Interstellar, like something like that. Uh, That's an experience that you can't easily replicate, uh, or the the quality will like the 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 downgrade in quality will not be missed. Um, So you might go out and watch that in a theater. So you might see like what movies actually play in theaters change instead of it well, being everything it's specific movies quite the contrary what if i told you that although you enjoyed that movie 1918 in theaters a lot i sat on my couch at home in front of my 55 inch tv with my banging sound system that i bought for 150 bucks that sounds amazing and i'm an audiophile i i i make a big deal by listening to good quality audio um was a fantastic movie experience at home where, you know, I paid nothing. Um, I, I don't know how your experience correlates to mine because of subjective value, but um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not necessarily um, comparing the experience. I'm just saying, like, we're, we're both 
you know, we both enjoyed the experience, regardless of whether it was at the theater or whether it was at home. Um, yeah, I mean, so it really depends, right? I mean, my dad works in audio, and I remember having some conversations with him with between theater audio and at home audio. And, you know, I can't remember, I can't remember it clearly. I'm probably going to have to ask him again. But theater audio is really wide. So it's capturing a large portfolio of sound. So I think the way he explained it to me was that the theater audio is really good if you're looking for movies that capture a large array of sound compared to if you're listening to a, like a surround sound system at home. I'm going to have to ask him about this again. But. You know, he has a lot of insight on this, and there's kind of a reason we go to theaters for certain movies. Yeah. So with theater audio, their sound systems cover a wide range of frequencies, so you'll have full-spectrum sound. In addition, they have very tuned audio, because you can, you can you know, do a million different equalizer settings to tune your audio for specific things. Like, for instance, if you're listening to one music over another, you might prefer one range of frequency over another. Like, if you're listening to electronic music, you might like more bass. Whereas if you're listening to rock and metal and you have your bass turned all the way up, then it washes out the vocals. So theaters tune their audio to a very specific profile that you might not get at home from your sound systems. In addition, they have um, very good directional audio uh, uh, settings where you know if you clearly hear the speaker talking directly in front of you, the audio will come from in front of you. If you have, you know, a whizzing car driving by the, the screen, you'll hear that sound go from in front of you to behind you. And a home audio system might not be so well tuned, although directional audio and home audio systems is still very much a thing. And I think the biggest thing is you get that ground shaking <laughs> bass where if you don't have a subwoofer or some sort of system on the ground at home, you don't really get that like rumbly sensation that you would get in a theater where you know you see an explosion and you feel the explosion too you might not get that sensation at home but it it, it really depends because what if i told you that i do have a sub and it was you know it gave me that ground shaking bass could be similar experience depending on your setup there's also the question of specialty screenings um you know how will we see a greater rise or um Will we see the percentage of regular screenings compared to IMAX screenings or those uh, Dolby Atmos screenings? Uh, if if really like theaters go into this more boutique uh, uh, niche, um, it you know it would really have to depend. I mean, um, equipment matching is very much a possibility, but it's all about an investment. And a trade-off, you know. For me, I'm not an avid movie watcher, so I don't watch a ton of movies at home. And I have really nice gaming headphones that captures all the sound that I would want in a movie that I see, anyways, or video games I play. So I think that is a big trade-off that will contribute to that. Is are people willing to upgrade all of their entertainment systems for the family? Or is the current market built so so much towards everyone's personal devices that families will be less inclined to do so and treat movie theaters as that, like, oh, I'm just going to go watch a movie at the theater 
because that's the only time I'll probably watch a movie in the next who knows how long. And of course, it depends person to person. But I mean, I don't know about you, but my family used to do movie nights at home. Now we don't really do that so much. Now it's just we kind of all do our own thing and then we'll go to the theater to do a movie night. So I think it's just going to have to depend on our families going to upgrade the TV, upgrade their sound system and all that stuff in the living room because they're going to use it often. Or are they not going to do that because they just simply don't consume movies at that rate in a mass viewing for the family rather than just an individual viewing for like me or me and one other person rather than my entire family. So I think that's also something to consider too, is a transformation of the consumer market with consumer electronics, TVs, sound systems, all that stuff. Because <coughs> I think that'll, that'll play a big role. You know what? I have an interesting statistic for you that correlates to the transformation of the consumer market, which is sure. that there is a there is a strong correlation between the cost of uh, not viewership but the cost of viewing something and piracy. Okay. Mm. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, like it seems obvious, and that's because it is. Is naturally when there's a period of time where, for instance, cable TV has really expensive packages and people are getting sick of it and there's a million different or there's like only three or four different companies that monopolize the entire market where they work together to keep prices extremely high where they also pass on their entire cost to you or movie theaters where at a time when ten dollars for a ticket was a lot because 15 bucks for for a ticket right now isn't as much now as ten dollars for a ticket was 15 years ago where a $10 movie ticket seemed like a lot, piracy for movies, for TV, for everything, was extremely high. And then for a period of time where you saw a lot of people move over to streaming, only the streaming service Netflix, because, you know, they're on the, the only one for a while, piracy sort of went down because it was five bucks a month, seven bucks a month, whatever, to view all this different content. Piracy was at a low. And now that you see all these streaming services pop up again, everyone's raising their prices cost of movies are going up again everything is changing people want to charge you to watch like one episode of a tv show once three bucks you're like fuck that i'm just gonna pirate everything and you know piracy is currently at an all-time high again yeah it makes sense it's really interesting i've heard that i've heard about both costs but another factor that i've heard is um correlated to piracy is availability um especially in like entertainment there's actually like certain movies or shows or channels which are region locked uh certain countries or regions don't get access to certain shows and because of that there's no legal way to actually access that piece of content they'll turn uh off. no region lock is not necessarily enforced by law because it's region from country to country and using a VPN is not illegal. You can legally use a VPN to bypass a region lock. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. But to Sarkis's credit, not everyone might set up a VPN and some people might turn to piracy immediately. So I mean, I'm not by, sure. By, if you're talking about an easy method, that's one thing. But a legal method, VPN to bypass region lock is legal. So, I, I mean, I think you're just looking at different wording. But yeah, I, I get what you mean. Well, we're, I think we're looking at universal, though. So, I mean, Assuming this is like maybe an impoverished country that doesn't have mass education or understanding of how to use a VPN, their only option might be piracy. 
But I think, yeah. albeit wording out or wording in, there probably is a correlation with that type of measure. <clears throat> Makes sense. I mean, if something uh, is region locked, yeah. You know, honestly, I think that extra cost. Sorry to cut you off, but that also adds extra cost because then you're paying for a VPN on top of whatever content you're trying to buy. There are free VPNs out there. there yeah, clear. there are free ones. Are there? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's a lot. Every one I've seen is like paid, so, so that's why. <laughs> I mean, they might not be as fast or as efficient as the paid ones that offer more features and options, but there's still free VPNs out there. All right. So, I mean, that that's what the trade-off would be, but I mean, you know, blanket statement is is if a cost is going up to a certain pro, it's to a certain point where the consumer doesn't see value in the cost in what they're getting, then they'll just turn to black marketing, i.e., piracy or you know Hold whatever. On, if if you it, honestly at this point in time, if you're smart enough to be able to pirate something, you're probably smart enough to run a VPN. Right. I'm again. I'm saying. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm I'm talking about just raw correlation. You know, yeah, people do have the option of running a VPN, and yeah, that's not illegal. It's a legal option. I'm saying there there is still probably correlation between, um, what's it? Uh, region locking certain things and piracy. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you lock anything out, people are going to turn their attentions out elsewhere because it's impossible to say there's absolutely zero people who are going to not use the VPN and go to piracy. I mean, people are going to. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I just remembered there's a fantastic video uh, posted on YouTube by TechWiki. Thank you, Linus. Uh, you're the shit. Um, called Why Piracy Will Never Die. I just looked it up to find the name. And I think I remember them talking about the, the same correlation where the correlation of uh, uh, the correlation of piracy versus the uh, cost of viewing, like TV. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, it may, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Going back to uh, AMC, uh, another kind of side effect that you know, you pointed out, Michael, in our messages was um, the effect this is going to have on concessions because concessions is really where most theaters make um make the their profit uh they don't really make a lot of money on little to no money on the ticket sales themselves uh rather they make money on food and 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 the drinks that they sell um and how this would affect suppliers and manufacturers of those products so you know icy is in for a real bad time <laughs> yeah icy is gonna have some some problems i mean they uh they have a handful of contracts with amusement parks but i mean it's yeah i mean that's not going to hardly measure up to how many contracts they have across the country and across some other countries for their deals it just yeah ic is going to have some issues along with um you know <coughs> dibs dibs mm. is is there hagen Dawes is also there um they should be on the okay side but i mean let's face it when you're at a theater and you want to get ice cream you buy one of those two because those two are there so they'll still get hit uh coke products that one is going to be very bad for coke big time um coke makes a huge amount of their uh revenue coming from theaters amusement parks and just just places where you see any mass crowd of people. So Coke is going to 
is going to have a real rough time, especially because I also read a trend. A lot of restaurants are changing from Coke to Pepsi. You know, it's because Pepsi actually lowered their marginal cost for obtaining their syrup, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. So they translated the cost saving technique to the cons- uh, to the supplier end of price, which was a smart move. And so some some restaurants across the country are actually changing from Coke to Pepsi. You know what I thought was interesting was a long time ago I read that uh, how little Coke actually earns from restaurant chains and places where they sell fountain drinks. Yeah, I, they don't make a whole lot. I wouldn't be sure that, that that might not affect <laughs> them as much as you're saying it would, because like they sell syrup, but their cost to sell the syrup is so close uh, to their their revenue from it that their profit margin is so little that it's practically just advertisement. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say that would be the case, except when coronavirus happened and all the major places carrying Coke closed, Coke's price went down drastically, whereas Pepsi didn't go down hardly as, as much. So well, there's correlation. Well, that's the thing right there is in terms <laughs> of advertisement, you know, yeah, Coke may not make a lot of money um, on those particular, like, installments um but it keeps in the public eye and everyone knows what coca-cola is because i'm pretty sure coke is the most famous brand in the world because it's everywhere widely known yeah exactly it's everywhere yeah um so yeah you're not wrong (laughs) when you said that it's kind of like just advertisement really um basically is they've lost their ads (laughs) <laughs> or lost a form of their ads, which you're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, um, they lose the ads. They're also going to lose people buying bottles at the theaters because they sell bottles as well. They're going to lose people who maybe consume Coke products outside of the theaters, and maybe they go next door to a restaurant, have a meal um, that has Coke. I mean, it's it's going to be it's a long-term change. <clears throat> Which is also now closed. Right, which is also closed. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's... um, Yeah, Coke's going to run into some hard times. And, um, yeah. It'll, so, it'll, it'll be a chain reaction. I, I want to transition this uh, chain reaction topic and hard times topic into basically another, uh, another idea, which was that uh, I, I don't think the economy or the market in general is is going to stay green or recover so well in the coming months and i think this is the reason i think uh these big companies are going to be very slow to bring their furloughed employees back online and i think a lot of companies are going to learn that they can outsource a lot of work because a lot of people working from home are still doing a lot and i think that a lot of these people who may have been spending money at the start of the uh quarantine aren't doing so much or aren't spending so much so heavily now. And it's going to be a really slow transition. And yesterday, which was May the 1st, the uh, dip in the stock market that we saw, I think might be a trend for the next couple of weeks at least. Because I'm going through my newsfeed and I'm reading articles about how none of these companies really want to open back up yet. Tesla just said all their furloughed employees are looking at at least another two weeks of remaining at home. And there's a lot of other companies saying, yeah, we're not ready to open. 
you have companies like, for instance, the uh, Las Vegas casinos that said, yeah, we're ready to open back up. We want to open the strip back up and, you know, restart our economy. But it's not going to happen because, you know, you might open your hotel, but no one's going to travel. No one's going to want to stay at your hotel. No one's going to want to spend the money that they don't have with the job that they are currently not working with the rent that they can barely afford. The it's it's interesting um, it, when you talked about employment. Uh, every Thursday, the unemployment um, new application uh, number comes in. I believe this week was three point eight million, um, with totaling the last six weeks um, being thirty million unemployed. Um, thirty? I thought we were at twenty. No, we were at like twenty six last week. And then 3.8 million came in this week. So now it's a total of 30 since Holy the shit. pandemic started. Yeah. That's almost, what is that, like 8% of the country? Uh, of 89%, something like that? Of the total That's population you. or the working population? Uh, <laughs> of the working population, it's much higher. Yeah. Of the total population, I think total pop is 350, 350 mil. No? Somewhere around there? So somewhere there, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's around like 8%-ish, I believe. Anyway, we can figure out the exact math later. Um, yeah, it's scary. <laughs> it's, it's close to... You know what? You got me really curious. Uh, U.S. population is 328 million. So if we're looking at 30 million, it's like 8 or 9%. Yeah, uh, U.S. working population up now is around 155 million. So that's more like 20 percent. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes it makes sense. Um, I mean it it'll be uh, it'll be a rough jump start, but I, I think. Sorry. Well, that's the thing. You're calling it a jump <laughs> no, start, which makes the impression that our economy is immediately just going to turn back on, click back on instantly. In like a week or two weeks, and that's not the case. It's going to be a slow roll, and I think the way people work is going to change. I think you're right when uh, you say uh, companies are discovering that hey, you know, people can work at home and get the same amount of work done at home, and we won't have to pay for offices offices as much. So we, what we might see is office spaces might shrink. So an office. That was, you know, let's say, twenty thousand square feet might get cut down to like ten thousand, and a lot of those employees will, instead of working out of the office, will work from their home. Um, maybe only occasionally traveling for a meeting here or there. Um, now, another thing that I I speculated uh, might happen is, and I remember sharing this with you guys, and I've read the story and it intrigued me was um moving jobs out of high cost areas so it's a form of outsourcing but instead of outsourcing out of the country you outsource to other states uh for example you know high cost areas like new york and uh california instead of hiring an office worker in san francisco or, or la where you know cost of living is really high and you have to compensate the worker more um, you would instead hire someone out of Nebraska or um, uh, you know Mississippi 
and you would pay them less and you wouldn't even have to pay to have an off uh, you know a desk for them or uh, office space for them you wouldn't have to account for that um and you would just have them work remotely uh so you might see the way in which we operate uh, how businesses operate change in that manner but uh you know this is just just an idea well you kind of have to understand why those high cost areas are high cost to begin with why is los angeles so expensive to live in san francisco is so expensive to live in it's because there's a lot of work there's a lot of people so there's a lot of work so there's you know places and stuff to do and places to go that's it's kind of like it's obvious but that's exactly the reason why because it's a dense population of education of schooling of whatever work is available you know people will go wherever there is work if you find that there is work anywhere you go they're not going to go anywhere so i mean maybe uh you're not wrong to some extent and i i i do think that we will see some form of outsourcing but what's to say that they won't just like outsource to india or china or something for like way cheaper work like you need someone to just make a powerpoint for you why not just pay some guy in china a few bucks to like or like a dollar or 50 cents to knock out a powerpoint presentation for you find some sources find a bit of information and send it your way well you know, why have uh time zones the coordinating with a larger team in general uh that will be a lot more difficult if you're on the other side of the planet um especially if you have tight deliverable da- uh due dates um on top of that language barrier is a thing uh yeah, cultural, barrier. cultural barrier um yeah there are there are issues, there are Definitely. Well, those are all just workarounds. Like you can figure out ways around it if the cost. Right, but, to use but time, it is so but time cheaper. is the time is the cost, though. I mean, there's been a lot of re- there's there's a reason why we don't outsource certain jobs. Security, time cost, time, pre- which is the time premium. You know, okay, yeah, we can do all these workarounds around it, but how much of that is worth doing for? X product if I can just pay someone just a little bit more here to do it and, and save on all the workarounds. It, it's all a matter of trade-offs, which is why oh, but I it's think... it's not just a little bit. The idea of outsourcing is that it's significantly cheaper. N- no, not not always, because variable cost can be I save a penny and that saves me millions. It, it's, it's all based off of an incremental amount that's exponentially multiplied due to variable cost. I guess so, it I depends mean, on specific, variable. like which what you're talking about. Like if you're talking about saving money on a part versus saving money on, you know, physical labor. Well, that's what I'm saying. That, that's kind of my point here is that this debate of whether or not everyone's going to do this or some people are going to do this or a few people are going to do this. It's all pretty conjecture at this point because it, the variability between all these different market segments, I mean, to an extent, what Sarkis described is very much possible and happening. But at the same time, it's possible some people are just going to go right back to what they were doing. It, it's hard to tell because we we don't have enough historicals right now to give a good forecast on what could come, only because it's all is- so new. That is what the economy is is hoping for, is that everyone just goes back to, to exactly what they were doing. But that's definitely not going to be the case, because it, after a pandemic like this, where the system doesn't change or adapt and goes exactly back to what it was before, it people are going to complain, 
or you're going to see some issues with, you know, like uh, flaws in the system. Yeah, I mean, that happened in 2008, and people were super pissed at the mortgage, housing, banking systems, all that stuff. Not much changed, and after about a year, people went right back to doing the same thing, which is why we oh, still yeah. have a growing uh, housing bubble now, which is why I think just historically speaking, looking at mass recessions, um, scares, shocks, it's really hard to say if this one's going to be any more different just because it's a pandemic. Because we've had, you know, 9-11 is a good example. You know, that one wasn't even economically caused. That was just because of a disaster that happened in one city. It killed 3,000 people and it impacted the entire United States, you know. So, I mean, it's hard to say if this pandemic is going to have a lasting effect in terms of a, a restart to the economy. And I only think that because it's, you know, we've seen these stimulus checks and, or not checks, we've seen stimulus given out by the federal government before in 08, Asia financial crash, um, periods in 9-11 for small businesses. We've seen it before. I think the only difference now is that there might be a lasting scar of fear, but that's something we'll get over in within a year. I mean, we've done it with every great uh, recession we've been hit with. That's why I don't that's why I don't think the economy is going to be slumped for ever. I don't think it's going to be a very slow recovery. I think it'll probably be average. And I think that because at the end of the day people want to work. People want to get back to work. People want to get back to consuming the goods they were originally consuming. And there will be the lingering fear, but look at the people who are protesting to get outside of their houses right now. Now, albeit I think they're pretty dumb to be <laughs> doing that. And I think that's pretty stupid, but there's clearly a huge push by a group of people who want to be outside. And there's definitely an even larger handful who are inside who may sympathize with those who want to go outside. So, you know, I think it's it's easy to say the economy is going to have a rough start and things are going to look bleak, but I think most businesses want to get back on their feet. And as soon as the opportunity rises where it's safe and the green light is ready, businesses are going to steam ahead. You know, I wish all of our government politicians and government employees understood that because I, I actually, so this is an article I read this morning where someone was comparing 2008 to now and they're comparing us to China where um, they mentioned that China is trying to also stimulate their economy and they basically are, I think it was, they offered up 4 trillion yuan, which is like $500 billion. Yeah. Um, wow. To stimulate their economy by basically expanding and building in infrastructure, like more mm. road networks and airports, and you know, helping local economies with new businesses and transportation, you know, public transport, whatever, everything. And All right, that's a good I think idea. it's a great idea because you're putting the money directly to the people. You're giving, <laughs> them, you're allowing them to work by building them more stuff to use, like roads. Whereas I think there was, oh, I don't remember the name. I wish I remembered the name, but the American politician who said that, no, this doesn't make sense. We're just going to give the money to the people. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's rough because I think for poli for politicians, it's hard to say what goes on in their mind because they're not economists or, you know, most of them, I would say like 99% of them, maybe maybe 1% in there had economic background in something or some understanding. but. People have to have an incentive to respond to. We all respond to incentives. That, that's just in our nature as people, 
That's just in our nature as humans. And I mean, that, that's, that's life. You know, there's an incentive, you know, I don't want to die. My incentive, I'm not going to die that, you know, my incentive is to make money so I can do X, Y, and Z. That's my incentive, make money to do X, Y, and Z to get X, Y, and Z. And I think if we created a system where we encouraged people when this all comes out, you know, when businesses begin to start paying bonuses to hire people on board, because after you lay off a huge chunk of people, you need to rehire. And if those gears start churning and you know you want to catch up to back to square one, you're going to have to pay those incentives. And I think if the government understood that, there could be some other better ideas that we can implement to help people pull up the bootstraps and get to work like they want to. Because people want to work. I mean, you, Sarkis, you want to work. Um, that's why you went to college. You went to college not to just get an education and sit on your ass. You got an education to work. You know, Peter, you're getting an education because you want to work. People want to work so that they can get money and so that they can have purpose in their life. And I just I wish with you. You know, politicians would understand that that's why people work and they respond to the incentives. Create incentives to work. That's the way agree. you win. And the, the extent of the article also mentioned how, how China recovered better in 2008 than we did just because they stimulated themselves by adding more work rather than trying to stimulate themselves by stimulating themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the case is the same here where I don't think the stimulus money you're sending out is going to do so well. And I hear talks of a second round of stimulus checks and people are like, great, free money, but, you know. It's, it's not free. It's, it's not free. Yeah, and <laughs> that's the thing. You know, it... That, that measure, although I see the merit and I see what they're trying to do, and I commend the government for wanting to help. And to be honest, them acting is much better than them not acting. At the end of the day, we were losing a lot more with them doing nothing. So, I, you know, square one, yeah, they did something, I'm glad. But I think they kind of grabbed what was at the bottom of the barrel and threw it up into the sky, and that was kind of what they did. They didn't really see... You know, what can we really do? What's the long-term effect? And I mean, at the end of the day, long-term effect, anyone, if they do another round and another round and another round, anyone who is making less than these rounds of stimulus checks are de-incentivized to work. You know, now they don't need to work because now they got their unemployment benefits, any other benefits they collect on top of that, and the stimulus check. So if you add those all together, my incentive to work, you, you've, you've decreased my budget curve. And now I'm like, okay, cool. I don't need to work at all now. Now I can invest pure leisure well, instead of uh, work. Here's another thing, though. If we do see these people be like, hey, I'm making more off of unemployment and stimulus checks and I'm uh, getting at my job, won't they demand more pay at their own jobs then? Only if the stimulus checks continue. That's the only way that curve would stay the same. Hmm. The idea, because the idea is that the stimulus like check is another form of income. So if it was like a UBI and it paid out more than their current job, then they go to their job and be like, hey, I'm getting paid more to not do anything than to actually do stuff at your uh, store. Yeah, so people are earning more through unemployment right now than they are normally. They get like most of what they earned normally plus an extra 600 bucks a week. So people are now making more money doing less. 
and and that's the problem is that any so you know if 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 i built a uh, uh, labor demand curve and we were studying leisure hours to work hours and there is a budget curve on there that studies okay at what level is most optimal utility for this worker the problem is is that if that worker had a slope that was curved and it intersects with the x axis which measures um you know as the x increases that means more leisure and as it decreases that means more work because your y axis is studying income if or earnings i should say earnings it's much different earnings um you're, you're pretty much increasing increasing the uh income curve against the utility curve so now you know let's just say they were willing to work two hours part-time a day and they made some money now they're going to work zero they're not even going to give a shit they're like you know what screw it i'm making way more now than i need to with work they're going to quit their jobs leave the work market stay unemployed that's what's empowering the people who are flipping burgers to ask for another two dollar increase in their wages well they won't even ask for the increase in wage they're just not going to work they're not going to work at all well no so you have to get unemployment and if they're not working they won't get unemployment if they quit themselves wait what what are you talking about for the producer to employ people no 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 no. the the, there aren't unemployment rules that you have to have been laid off or furloughed or something like that yeah you can't if you quit if you resign on your own uh reasoning unless it's some sort of extreme circumstance then uh, you you you're not eligible for uh, unemployment. Okay, so you can't quit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, so that would be for Oh, so that's for the entire unemployment benefit then. Yeah, that's the entire unemployment. Correct. Well, at what point does that kick in for someone who quits with the intent of finding another job doesn't find one? At some point the unemployment benefit would have to kick in then or else that defeats the purpose. No, you don't get it. So that means if I quit my job, can't find another one, I'm fucked, period? Yeah, that's why you have to find work while you're working. Basically, you have to apply while you're working to find other work if you want to move somewhere else. Well, yeah. in addition, unemployment benefits, they want to know that you're actively looking for work. So they ask you, did you apply anywhere? Where did you apply? Can you yeah. provide us with a copy of your application? Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That does not make a whole lot of sense because that would deter people from rotating. Yeah, I don't know. That's um, that's a weird one. There's. I've never heard that before. Yeah. There's also the factor of if there was like a a form of UBI and people are making uh, of you know, getting a check from the government every month on top of whatever they're making at their low-paying job, they would just keep their current low-paying job and the monthly check and just make more money in general. Because if all of a sudden you're pit, you're flipping burgers and you're also getting a second income, uh, suddenly you could spend it on a lot more stuff. Uh, maybe start a nest egg, maybe even uh, just spend it on luxuries or entertainment that you couldn't afford before. Oh, here we go. Yeah, I had a feeling it didn't make sense that you can't just quit and collect unemployment. It's called a good cause clause. Uh, mm-hmm. which the two words kind of make that weird to pronounce, good cause clause. Um, pretty much you need to 
if you quit your job, you have to have a good cause to quit. Um, and then if you have a good cause to quit, you can collect unemployment benefits. So I think the good cause can easily be manipulated to, to this scenario where anyone can quit and claim safety as a good cause for quitting. So I think knowing that this exists, knowing that they can claim unemployment benefits, now those two can stick together very nicely, showing we've pushed the curve. People can now quit safely and collect unemployment still. For uh, well, in terms of the coronavirus epidemic, uh, pandemic, uh, right? Yes, but outside of that, that's not really going to apply much, much else. Okay, so then, yeah. consider this: unemployment is only up to a certain period of time. After a certain number of weeks, uh, number of weeks is escaping my mind. But after a certain number of weeks, you're no longer eligible to claim unemployment because the idea is that you—it's just money you collect for a short period of time until you get another job back. Having a job now and still having a job later versus quitting your job, getting paid now, having questionable opportunity of work later, is it worth it? Um, see, that's where that's incorrect because economics shows that people are willing to quit and are willing to collect a short-term income for less work because that concept would still be there regardless. The I mean, question is whether or not you'll get a job again later at the same place or somewhere else or whether they'll hire you again because then you include your employment history and say that you quit and they'll ask you why you quit and you'll tell them and they might be hesitant to bring you back on or bring you on oh, in general. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that that's very true, but I mean, that doesn't stop people from doing it, which is my point. People are going to do it. The, the, a lot of people don't think long term and people who don't want to work typically aren't thinking how am I going to get back to work in the next couple months? They're thinking, how can I not do work now, collect my income now, and move on? Also, bear in mind, some people who are willing to take this unemployment benefit and quit right now are could be, or sorry, could be uh, small families. You know, two two family earners. Let's just say one had super high income and another had supplementary income for you know whatever uh, nest egg money or. Uh, rainy day funds, that type of stuff, that person's more inclined now to not work. And odds are they'll stay out of the workforce because now they can get the unemployment benefits. And then once the unemployment benefits cut and the first earner gets a promotion, gets a higher income pay, or even just maintains and they're carrying on just fine, the second person have less of an incentive to re-enter the market. The point is, is that not everyone's going to be in the same scenario, but because the scenario exists, that theory is going to hold true. And I mean, we've seen it in multiple scenarios before 2008, uh, Asian financial stock crash, 9-11. I mean, th these are very prime examples of where this theory comes into play. You de-incentivize work, people will take the trade-off. It'll happen. We've seen it happen. So going along with what you say, can yeah. I mention about how garbage the SBA loans and the payroll protection program has been over the last month or two, the amount yeah. of money that was dedicated towards this program and the yeah. amount of money that's gone in the right direction is abysmal because mm -hmm. they've, they've put hundreds of billions into this program. And instead, you're seeing companies like the Los Angeles Lakers collecting $15 million and then giving the money back because the public outcry shit on them saying, these are for small businesses when the government never made any sort of effort to 
direct these loans at small businesses. They did not exclude publicly traded companies or uh, you know companies with massive employee quantities. They said pretty much to qualify, you have to have less than 500 employees. That's it. <laughs> that's, that's really it. The Lakers are worth three and a half billion dollars, and the only basketball team that's worth more than them is the Knicks. And even so, that's questionable. They're one of the most valuable teams in the NBA. Their their market cap is huge. They have 300 employees, and they were given 15 million dollars. What they really should have done was cap the employee size to like 50, and with the market cap of like 5 million or 10 million. Because anything over that isn't really a small business anymore. On top of that, the, the I believe there was another stipulation of if you're a chain, it's something like, was it like a, I, I want to have the exact number, but they have a certain number of employees per store or less. Uh, so even if you're some sort of a math, massive chain, I believe last week we mentioned uh, Ru- Ruth's Chris, right? Ruth's yeah. Chris Steakhouse. Uh, they got um, millions of dollars from the uh, uh, PPP, I believe it was, uh, Payment yeah. Protection Program. Yeah. yeah. Uh, payroll. Yeah, payroll program, sorry. Um, yeah, they also got, even though they're a multi, you know, they're a giant chain with millions of dollars um, in value, uh, they also somehow uh, qualified for that program. And took out millions. You know, I mean, I the, have the several PPP friends. can apply to anyone, but the SBA specifically, though, that one should not have gone to them if they collected that. That should well, not no. have gone to them. The, the PPP loan is from the SBA. The SBA is Small Business Administration. They're the ones who run all these, these loans and grants and stuff. I have several friends who own small businesses. There's one that has a market. There's another one that has a retail store. And none of them got any money from the SBA uh, because they ran out of money by giving, you know, hundreds of millions to big businesses. And now they're talking about doing a second round of funding for that program that clearly doesn't work. That's also incentivizing against working by paying people to not work. I, I think it's a catastrophe. It, it's, 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 it's bad. Yeah. So the SBA, okay, so the SBA is an administration, it's a federal administration? Yeah. Okay, and how do they distribute? Do they do, you know, um, them? Through banks. Oh, okay. So if you're a financial (laughs) institution and someone basically has a business account with you and they've had a business account with you prior to February of 2019, they can submit an application through your financial institution and basically put in the amount of wages that they lost and if you are eligible, meaning you have like less than 500 employees, and that's pretty much it, and you have less than 500 employees, and you've had a business account open since before February, then you're eligible, and you essentially tell them how much money you haven't been making, and they'll give you a portion of that. And you know, you can get as much as like 50 to 100 million dollars because your wages that you've lost or your revenue that you've lost is you know 10 times that. And, you know, a a large company with like 400 employees getting $100 million is a very big deal when you're trying to distribute to all these small businesses and markets and, you know, retail stores and whatnot, all these places around the country that should be getting smaller amounts like 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, whatever. Mm. 
Yeah, no, that's um, yeah, that is bad. Yeah, I mean, they uh, put literally no effort into aiming this pay- payroll protection program aimed at small businesses to aim it at small businesses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's no surprise that. <sighs> You know, they they try. They, the federal government wants to do something good, and then their execution is botched almost all the time. Uh, this one's pretty bad, though. I mean, I don't even know how a bank would be authorized to make that that loan. <laughs> I, I don't understand um, how that would even be. Well, they just given the the thing is the SBA just gave them general guidance. They said, "Here are the guidelines. If they meet this requirement, you give them this percentage of the amount of wages lost." So then it's up to the businesses who are applying to tell them truthfully, this is how much we lost and this is what we need and this is who we are. And then the banks, given the SBA's guidance, will approve them, which is why these huge businesses are getting approved, because it's not the bank's approval. It's the SBA's guidance that's approving them. So it's it's because of very poor guidance of the program and like very general guidelines that you know the wrong people are getting approved yeah big rip yeah massive rip it's a lot of money dude it's a shit ton of money it's it's not even millions it's billions and it's like hundreds of them well and that's and and i think what's upsetting most is that that's taxpayer funds going Mm. to these huge companies and I mean, I think I think what upsets me most knowing that is you get companies like Amazon who paid zero dollars in taxes, and then you look at me who, thank God, I have enough deductibles as a student because you know, being a poor academic, you don't have to pay shit, thank God. But I would have had to pay somewhere around twenty-five to thirty-three percent of my income. So, damn. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear these huge businesses are sucking up my tax dollars unnecessarily. Oh, yeah. You know, what is nice, though, is that uh, um, schools are now finally releasing their applications for the CARES grant, where students can get paid uh, some money to help support them through uh, through these economic hardships, where if they were eligible for some form of financial aid, they can also be eligible for the CARES Act, and they'll get some money. And you can claim expenses, and you can claim, like, Oh, well, because I had to go home and buy a whole new laptop so I could do everything online. I didn't have the money for it. So maybe you'll give me some of the money for it. So at least that kind of shows that there is some money headed in the right direction, I think. But it's it's a much smaller fund. Yeah. I mean, uh, pr- protecting protecting schools and students right now is a good move. I mean, especially when you want to encourage them to pursue work. Um, and go right into the job market immediately after graduating. No better way to do it than to ensure they're going to make it to the finish line. Um, you don't want to sideswipe them. That's if there is a finish line. And then they're already struck with death <laughs> itself. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's a big rip. Yeah, these are uncertain times. But again, one thing I'm a hundred percent certain for is. You know, there's a finish line. There's a term limit for this uh, this situation. And you know, if if we really do our part in making sure that we're staying healthy, we're not going out and we're getting more people sick, and we're taking the right precautions, and the precautions given out by 
uh, our local governments, then you know what, we'll be able to at least mitigate the long-term effects. And, you know, ho hopefully, hopefully the federal government gets it through their, their thick skull that they should not reopen the economy too early because, you know, we're still in the period where it's too early to tell if we reopen and problems happen. Um, a country already did it. I, the, oh, the country escapes me. They already reopened in Japan. There we go. Japan oh. reopened and they already had a second wave of coronavirus. Second mm. wave. That, that's the fear is if we open up too quickly, then um, particularly we'll have like a second wave. Uh, yeah, and, and it's going to happen. <laughs> man. It's going to happen. I mean, it, what do you think happens after... You know, yeah, people get sick. Maybe some people are carrying it, haven't inoculated yet. We all just go back willy-nilly, and then we get more people. I mean, it, I don't understand why that's such a difficult concept for some people to get. Like, th this is not like a, oh, it'll just go away. It's the common cold. No, this this thing can kill select people, and we don't want to kill those people. Yeah. Unless they're politicians, then, you know it happens finally we'll get some new ones <laughs> you know maybe yeah. this is the it's the federal purge right like oh, this is the future <laughs> <laughs> but but you know all, all jokes aside you know anyone listening take the precautions there's a finish line and there's only a finish line if we follow the rules and we don't get more people sick that's how we reach the finish line, and that's how the economy gets back on its feet. Not by you being a jackass and going outside and getting more people sick. That, <laughs> slow, that slows this down. I thought that was something awful. Huh. <laughs> Just... So, so oh, uh, politicians are hoping that uh, coronavirus just starts ripping through people because that's how they keep uh, Social Security solvent for the next couple of years. Oh my god, this was plan B. <laughs> oh my god. This was plan B. This is why they're reopening it. They're like they're like, oh my god, we're on the we're on the verge of bankrupting social security. I have a plan. <laughs> oh my god. Jeez, that's that's it's like awful. Disney and the patent laws. It's the government and their social security nonsense. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I mean as idiotic as it is to reopen the economy, I'm not going to disclude that as a reason for opening. I mean, hell, that's better than some of the reasons they're trying to tell us. Yeah. <clears throat> I need my hair cut. What? <laughs> yeah, I, just some of the, you know, I get the people saying, like, they want to go back to work and, and you know, they want to just regain the opportunity to work again. I yeah. get that. and And you know what? good for you for wanting to work and i feel you i'm sorry you still got to stay home but i feel you but the people who are complaining about haircuts and eating out and enjoying their vacation like look dude yeah like this is not vacation mode we're obviously in a completely different scenario fighting <laughs> an invisible enemy we can't see and is trying to kill our grandmas so the, yeah, the biggest thing that actually makes sense is trying to regain some of your composure. But anything other than that is is nonsense. Yeah, and I mean, look, like, why do you want to get a haircut now? Like, why? Who do you have to impress? Yeah, honestly, like, what what are you? Are you going out to this big wedding? Are you are you going out to this big part? I mean, come on. Well, no one needs there's to get lefty and there's righty, and they need to know. Oh that, God. Ugh. 
<laughs> Jesus. Oh my god. We're gonna see mirror sales increase then. <laughs> oh <God>. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Narcissism is at a all time high. <laughs> wow, if there was ever a mirror company to invest in, now's the time, apparently. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> Jesus, dude. All right, I, I think we should end it on that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. So I think we're uh we discussed we're gonna open up just like a general um uh what was it suggestion post on our subreddit or like a yeah. survey or something. Yeah, like just that. to just to check up on you guys, see how you're doing. Um, you know, we're we're trying to garner as much feedback as possible. You know, we're gonna start doing this consistently. You know, week to week. We want to make sure, you know, you're listening, even if it's not through the whole thing, whatever. We just want to know you're there, you know, learning your inputs. I mean, half the stuff we talk about is just from our own perspectives. Some of it's based off of theory. Some of it's just based off of random nonsense we think of in our head. We just want to know what you think, you know, what's your input. So we just want to know you're still alive out there and what you think. Yeah. So, so we're going to post something. If you could like like it, comment it, uh, you know, mention something, you know, as long as we get any sort of feedback, we, we're just trying to gauge our audience here. So, yeah. So uh, that'll be up on the Financial Decapitation podcast uh, subreddit, uh, Financial Decapitation, or r slash uh, Financial Decapitation. Uh, you can also uh, reach us at fdinvestmentgp at gmail.com um, if you want to email us directly. Uh, and then, let's see, lastly, what else we want to mention? Oh, yes, uh, if you see this, uh, wherever you're listening to this, if it's on Spotify, iTunes, etc., um, you know, like, uh, give us a follow if you're down. Um, and if you really like us, uh, maybe just like recommend us to a friend or a buddy who might be interested in listening. Um, and yeah, thank you all for tuning in. All right. Have a good one, everyone. Stay safe. Stay staying. Bye. Oh God, my nuts.